Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today we are celebrating episode 100 of the podcast. Can you believe it? You know, this show started about three years ago now. And I am just blown away how much my life has changed as a direct result because of this podcast. And really how much the world has changed in the last three years. I mean... I've been doing this stuff for a very long time. I've been an expat. I've been living overseas. I've been building businesses and been an entrepreneur for a long time. But I really never could have imagined how much this podcast would change my life and how it would shape me as a human being. I mean, when you start trying to teach these things or talk about these things or or do interviews, I mean, you really think about them in a very different way. You really need to try to articulate things. The show has really helped me with my ability to take complex ideas and make them very, very simple and easy to understand. And I really think that that is a massive art form in itself. You know, I think that that is a real skill. And I'm really fortunate to have this podcast and to have you, my amazing listener, because really that's what it's all about. I mean, without you guys, there's no point in doing this. This is just me recording um, some random stuff uh, and talking to some cool people. But I mean, without you guys, it's, uh, it's nothing. It's really nothing. So I guess straight off the bat first, before anything else, is thank you. Like genuinely, deeply from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for having an interest in this show, in the topics, in, and in listening to me. I mean, you guys are really giving me the, your most valuable resource, and that is your time, your time and your attention. Because I know that there's tons of other podcasts out there, and there's a lot of other people who are creating content and putting forth things. And you guys have decided to listen to me and follow my journey as an expat, building my business overseas. And hopefully, you guys are learning some things along the way. I try to show things as raw as possible. You know, we are not overly shiny, overly branded. I make mistakes. There's ups and downs and trials and tribulations, as they say. And I try to show you guys all of it. I don't just try to to give you guys only the rose-colored glasses type of opinion. Yes, I am an optimist. Yes, I see things glass half full type of of thing. But I mean, really, I try to give you guys a realistic example of what it's like to live overseas, to build a business, to be an investor, and, uh, and to be involved in the offshore markets. So I have literally a ton of stuff here to go through, and I want to dive straight in. 
I mean, I think I've probably got about 8, 10, 12 pages of notes here. So, I mean, we'll see how long this episode goes. If I have to, I will break this into two episodes. Otherwise, we'll just keep going. We'll just do one massive episode. So, first off, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who has left a review for this show. I mean, what this really does is it shows Apple and Stitcher Radio and all these other platforms that my podcast, The Expat Money Show, has value. So when you guys take that 60 seconds and go on and leave us a review, it shows the algorithm that people are paying attention, that there's really something here. So thank you so, so much for leaving those reviews. I read every single one of them, even the bad ones. I read them all. I mean... This is a really important thing. And if you guys want to reach out to me, if you guys have comments or questions or just want to say what's up, I mean, you can put a review in there. Obviously, I'm hoping for five-star reviews. I work super, super hard at this podcast. But I mean, if you hate the podcast, feel free to go on and tell me that I'm an asshole and, uh, and leave me a negative review. That's, that's your right. You know, who am I to stop you from doing that? But anyways, yes. Thank you for everyone who has left me a review. We get tons of five-star reviews. And with that, I've got tons of questions that we're going to get to a little bit later on in this episode. I'm going to try to get through all of them and answer everybody's questions about being an expat, about living overseas and investing abroad. And there's, there's some pretty cool stuff in there. So I hope that you guys stick around for the full episode. Before we go into a couple of the other things and, and some of the points and I guess really recapping the last year of my life because so many things have changed and I alluded to that at the very beginning here. But before we get into that, I want to tell everybody, if you haven't heard, we are going back to a weekly show. Every single Friday morning, you will have a brand new episode of the Expat Money Show waiting for you in your favorite podcasting app. So we had to take a couple of month break while I did the move from the UAE to Panama. And while I really got a lot of things sorted in Escape Artist, you know, there was just so, only so many things I could do at once. And yes, I am Superman and I am an absolute workaholic. Um, really, there are limits even for me. But business is going very well. We are growing like crazy amounts. And the podcast is now back at the forefront of my attention, and we are going back to weekly. So we got some excellent episodes scheduled for next week. We've got Brian London coming on next Friday. He's going to be talking about gold and particularly the mining stocks. We're going to go into detail about the junior mining stocks and how you can make two times, five times, 10 times, 50 times your money in the stocks from these mining companies and leveraging with the price of gold, which is just exploding right now. So that is going to be a really interesting conversation. I'm really excited for that. And then after that, we have Erica Gemma, who will be talking to us about Bitcoin, another one of the big things that I am promoting at the moment. You know, I went through a big phase where I was huge into cryptocurrency, I want to say about four years ago, and I watched crypto cryptocurrency go all the way up and then come down. And I was very quiet about it for a very long time because it just didn't seem like the right opportunity. But because of some of the things that are happening in the world, we are seeing some massive, or I believe we will see some massive gains in cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin. I think that this is a real paradigm shift. And I think that people should be once again paying attention to this space. Because we had a, 
We had a bad period there, but I think we are about to enter another bull market. We'll see in the next 6 to 12 to 18 months if I'm right or not, but I'm usually pretty good about predicting these things. Sometimes I'm a little bit early, but uh, I'm, never, I'm never usually late to the game. I'm always, if anything, a little bit early. Um, and we'll get into some of that, uh, my predictions, during this episode and definitely in the episode with Erica Gemma coming out in two Fridays from today. Okay, so let's, uh, let's go down memory lane. So about 15 or 16 months ago, I relocated my family from the UAE to Panama, which was obviously a massive move for us. You know, I had really built a life for myself in the UAE, and I love this place, honestly. I spent eight years there. My daughter was born there. I had a huge group of friends, and we made lots of money, and it, it was a really amazing experience. Unfortunately, I saw a bit of changes happening in the country, which I was not really so keen on. At the time, it was really, really tense with what was going on with Iran, specifically the U.S., you know, moving troops into that area. There are armadas into the Persian Gulf or the Arabian Gulf, however you, whichever side of the fence you sit on, on naming it. And we really didn't like the looks of that. I mean, you're talking about using, about invading another country and possibly using or probably using the UAE as one of the staging grounds. That made me rather nervous, you could say. I also didn't like the fact that in the UAE, you basically have to have air conditioning for a good six, seven months of the year, and that nothing grows in the country. Besides some date palms and things like that, the country really doesn't produce enough food to feed the populace. And the majority of the water is all desalination. So a lot of the energy goes to the desalination plants, which produces drinking water so that you can live. Now, if any th type of catastrophe happens there, I mean, you're just going to cook. You're not going to be able to grow your own food. You're not going to be able to have fresh water to drink. If there anything happens to the electrical grid, you know, all those things made me nervous. And they did make me nervous for a very long time. But when you talk about entering into a time where you're going into war, I mean, it's even worse. Now, I would never consider myself like a full-blown prepper, but I am very into personal responsibility. Let's put it like that. I'm very into personal responsibility. And I think that it is my job to protect my family. And I don't rely on the government or the police or the state to do these things for me. I think that it's my job. So when we moved from the UAE to Panama, one of the first things we started to do was really prep. We started getting some food ready. We started getting some equipment and things like that, just in case something bad happened. And I, I'll tie back to this in a little bit when we talk about COVID. Um, but I want to talk about, I want to tell you a little bit about the move uh, in a bit more detail. So we left the UAE and we went traveling for think about a month or so. We went to China for two weeks to visit my wife's parents. We went to Beijing, took my mother to China with us for the first time and uh, just did a ton of really cool stuff. Now I've been to China, I wanna say maybe two, three, three dozen times, maybe yeah, probably about 30 times I've been to China over the last 20 years. And I've seen the country grow and change so much during that time, which has been an amazing experience. And you know, 
I've been talking about China as the rising hegemon for probably 15, 20 years. Um, I've studied Mandarin. I studied the culture, the history, the food. Obviously, my, I married a woman from China. Um, my daughter speaks fluent Mandarin. But it's so amazing to watch the country progress. I mean, people really have no idea what's going on over there. But when you go into a place like Beijing or even Guiyang or go over to Guizhou and Shenzhen and all of these areas, these are really like the cities of the future. It's like stepping in a time machine and just going forward. It's like 10 years, 15 years and watching how things are going. Now, people always say to me, you know, but China is a communist country. Okay, I don't think you guys quite understand how China works. China is politically a communist country in that it is a one-party system. However, economically, it is not a communist country. It is a free market enterprise. They are some of the most amazing capitalists in the world. Now, I'm not saying that I support the government in China, because I certainly don't. But what I can say is that if you haven't been to China, you really don't know what it's like there. You can't just listen to the mainstream media or what some politician is saying uh, on the TV because it really is a different place. I, I often describe China not as a different country, but really as a different world. So we went over to China for two weeks. We came back to the UAE for two weeks, and then we went to Canada for one to two weeks, I think, before we landed in Panama. Now, my wife had never been to Latin America before. Actually, that's not true. She'd been to Brazil and Chile, I think, but she'd never been to Central America. So she was rather nervous. And it's kind of funny because before we had arrived, we actually had rented a place to live because we were searching, searching, searching online, and we found this amazing-looking place. And it's this 4,700-square-foot penthouse in downtown Panama overlooking the water and the price was just awesome. So we decided to rent it and we actually sent over a deposit and when we got here we actually went directly from the airport to the new place and the landlord and the building manager was here to meet us and we came in and we came upstairs and we we wanted to do this video of like welcome to the new house you know so we had our phones out and we walked in. And this is, it wasn't what we were expecting at all, to be honest. You know, we really were looking at these pictures and the videos, and they had said everything was going to be fixed. There was going to, like, the place would be spotless, immaculate, clean. Everything would be fixed. The place was going to be unbelievable. And we got here, and it was like a crack shack. There was holes in the wall, holes in the floor. The place was filthy. All the outlets were disgusting. The, the cabinets and the, the closets were all moldy and gross. It hadn't been painted in like 10 years. There was broken stuff. Like it was horrendous. And I was just absolutely shocked. So we did this video and I mean, we were so upset. So immediately we had to go and get a, a hotel because it was just not livable. You just couldn't stay there. And I don't know what had exactly happened. I, thought, I think that we were, ex we were very clear about when we were arriving, but we came in on, I think, the 15th of the month. And for some reason, they seemed to have thought that we were going to be coming in on the first of the month, like two weeks later, or that we were going to come in and we were staying somewhere else for the first two weeks. But 
I can I was clearly able to show them afterwards through the emails and the WhatsApp and the voice messages that no, we were actually going to be spending that first week uh, in the place. So that was a lot of drama. We had to spend the first week in a hotel and go back and forth and give a lot of instructions. We ended up ripping out um, a lot of the closets and cupboards and cabinets and garbaging all of that. We ended up having to paint the entire apartment. Imagine 4,700 square foot place. We had to paint it all. So we hired someone. Actually, we had the landlord pay for the labor. We paid for the paint. So we split it 50-50 and did the whole place. Now, a year later, the place is stunning. It's amazing, and it was well worth it because we've got these huge floor-to-ceiling windows. It's two-story. We have all the 15th and all the 16th floor, and the views are just unbelievable. You can see Trump Towers, and I'm in love with the place now, but it was, uh, it was a nightmare at first. So use that as a lesson. Before you arrive in a place, maybe don't rent. Maybe show up and, uh, and look around. But we had a good feeling about this place, and we wanted to capitalize on the deal. The other really interesting thing that happened to us when we arrived here was we had taken all of our personal belongings and put them in a shipping container. And we were just traveling with like one suitcase each. Because I said, as I said, we were, I think, six weeks on the road before we arrived here. And then the stuff was scheduled to arrive about three weeks after we got here. And this really had like all of our personal belongings. It wasn't even that much furniture, but it was like clothes and photos of my daughter and my library and games and toys and I mean, just all the personal things that I had collected and my wife had collected from eight years living in the Middle East. You know, we didn't have anything from Canada. We didn't have, we have some stuff in China at our home in China, but the majority of our things was coming over in on, on the shipping container. So it hit the port in Panama, but we didn't have the bill of lading. So we started to try to contact the company that had shipped it and get a hold of them and release the bill of lading. And so we went back and forth by emails and then, you know, they'd say, yes, 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 it's coming and then nothing. And then, oh yes, we're sorting it out. We're aware of the problem. We'll have that ready for you on Thursday. And then Thursday would come and go and then it'd be a week later and still nothing. So we went around and around and around calls and, and then they just stopped answering the emails. And our registered agent here in Panama couldn't do anything. We couldn't get the shipping container released from the port. And then all of a sudden, yeah, they stopped answering all emails. And then we started to get really worried. And I don't know if you guys know how it works, but basically you have a grace period that it can be in the port. And then you start to accumulate fines. And you really can't move it until you have all your paperwork in, in, in order. So it started acquiring fines. And I think it started at not very much, like $50 a day. And then it went up to $150 a day. And then it was like $200 a day. And a month went by and we were still arguing and trying to find out what was going on. And then like another month went by. And now we're talking a solid five figures that we're owing to this other company. And we still don't have the bill of lading. So we find, finally found out what had happened. The company went bankrupt, closed their office, but they had pocketed all the money and outsourced the work to a third-party company to ship all the stuff. And this company was told that we hadn't paid, even though we had receipts of paying in cash, the entire amount 
before we left the UAE. And we had never even heard about this other <laughs> company. So we finally tracked them down and then argued with them for weeks on how to get this uh, released. So I, I want to say that our stuff was probably about two and a half months delayed. It could have been even been three months delayed. Eventually, we did end up getting our things, thank God. But there was the, they were threatening at the port to release the stuff from the government. And they told us that what would happen is the government employees would be able to go through first and then pillage everything, anything of value that they wanted. And then after that, the remainder of the contents would be destroyed. And I'm like, this is, this is our clothes. This is my business suit. I probably have $20,000 worth of business suits, custom tailor-made suits. My wife's handbag collection, $20,000, $30,000 worth of LV and Chanel and designer handbags are in there. You know, family photos of my kid and um, all her toys, you know, maybe 2,000 books from my library are all in there, like all just personal, personal stuff. So, you know, we're massively stressed out by this. You know, it's hard to sleep at night because of it. And we had to go out and buy all new furniture and new clothes and all these things. So it was massively expensive. I did talk about these things a lot in my emails when I was still doing EMS Pulse, our daily emails with that. And I had literally hundreds of people reach out to me afterwards and check in on me and did we get everything back. So yes, we did. It was a horrendous experience. I don't wish this on my worst enemy, except for possibly the guy who actually skipped out on his bills and did this. And maybe the people at Merrick's line who, uh, who were not very nice about it as well. But for everyone else, no, this is not something you want to go through. <laughs> okay, moving on. We are now in Panama. We've been here for about 14, 15 months, and life is good. It is a beautiful, beautiful country. In that time, we have done a ton of work at Escape Artist. So if you guys remember, I took over Escape Artist just before moving to Panama. Um, I really wanted to be back on Eastern Standard Time. My business partners and a lot of my preferred partners are all in Eastern Standard Time. I was really sick of being up until 3 o'clock in the morning doing work while they were finishing their work day. So I really wanted to be back on Eastern Standard Time. I really wanted to be somewhere where it's the center of the offshore markets. Panama is the place for that. And hopefully later on I'm going to be able to talk about the visa for Panama itself and also why I chose this country from the visa standpoint. But from Escape Artist, we have seen massive, massive growth. You know, our organic SEO, basically the people who read the blog, has increased by around 300% since I took over the company. We've had more than a 500% increase on our email newsletter, on the free email newsletter. I was able to start a new bookstore earlier in 2020, which has been hugely successful. I've been able to take all the different titles that I've written, special reports, courses, different products, webinars, a whole bunch of things and put it on there so it's easy to navigate. And if you go to escapeartist.store, you're gonna be able to find that. I think that it's really good because, I mean, you guys can go on the internet and you can look up stuff for free and, and I highly encourage you do and to read the blog and listen to as much of this podcast as you can. But I mean, if you need to really deep dive on one subject, 
then a special report might be the answer for you, or, or a book, or an ebook, or something like this. Because it really takes you to A to B to C to Z, you know, all the way, all the steps through. So I'm a big fan of these types of things. And yes, I do charge for some of this information, but I think when you look at the amount of research and work that goes into it, and how rare this Intel is, like you really can't just find this anywhere. I think $19 for a special report is very reasonable, or $100 for some type of a course or for a report. I mean, I think that the, that is really reasonable prices. I tried to keep it really reasonable and give you guys really great value. That's always been the goal. So the bookstore has been doing really well. After that, I went on and I hosted the Offshore Escape Summit. This was really my baby for six months. It took me about six months to put this together. We had 27 speakers. We did over 32 hours of recorded content. I had 6,200 6, plus attendees for the conference. And it was unbelievable. We got, I don't know, maybe a thousand comments, questions, and feedback. A thousand, fifteen hundred, something like that, during the, the week-long event. Um, I was very happy we went through with zero problems, no technical problems, no glitches, no one got dropped, no presentation disappeared or, or got broken or we didn't lose any content. So that was unbelievable. I would like to do this as a annual event, but I mean, I really need to sleep for about six months afterwards uh, after doing this event. You guys can still actually get the recordings from that. If you go to offshoreescape.com, offshoreescape.com, you'll find the recordings for that. We charge for it, but I mean, this is like a masterclass. This is like doing an MBA in going offshore. You guys should get this and study it, watch it. We give you the transcripts, the audio only files, the video files, all the contact information, bonus round tables, a couple of special reports like everything you could possibly want to know about going offshore in 2020, it's all there for you for a few hundred bucks. I think it's like the greatest deal ever, but I mean, it's also my baby. Like I said, I, I put a ton of work into it. So I encourage you guys to check that out at Offshore Escape 2020. Hopefully we'll do another one for 2021. And like I said, I wanted to do six months of just nothing, to be honest, sleep. I, I had been doing about 14 hours a day, seven days a week. I think I took one day off in about two and a half months uh, while I was preparing for this conference. But immediately after, like, I mean, four days later, I decided to start a magazine because, you know, why not? <laughs> so that's what I did. I started Escape Artist Insiders magazine, and we're just releasing issue number four of the magazine. It has been a massive learning curve for me. I mean, this is a real professionally done magazine. I had no idea how much work goes into something like this, but my team has really pulled together. Everybody's been working really, really hard, and the end product is honestly unbelievable. Like, I, I'm, I'm surprised myself. I look at it, and I just can't believe. And I promise you, nobody else is doing anything else like this in the industry. This is really another game changer. First of all, the summit that we did was probably the largest offshore summit in the world. I don't know if anyone's ever done anything as big as this. And I did it as the first time, so I can't wait for next year. 
Then I went on and did the magazine. And I'm not trying to like brag or anything, but I'm really proud of this. Like I, I think it's just unbelievable. The content that's included in it is such a high level because I've gone out there to my extended network and ask them all the questions. They're the ones providing the content. So it's really the lawyers and the accountants and the service providers and the real estate developers who are doing all this offshore content. It's not just written by some uh, writer who has to research it online but doesn't really know what they're talking about. This is all the frontline people who work in these industries. Yes, they're not professional writers, but what I'm able to do as a writer and with my team, with my editor and publisher and proofreader and everything like that is really up the quality, but make sure that everything is 100% factually correct. Really show you guys this niche content that's not found anywhere else. And it's also available at the store at Escape Artist. So if you go to escapeartist.store and you look for Insiders Magazine, there should be on the menu there, Insiders Magazine. It is a paid magazine, but it's... Uh, entitles you to 12 issues of the magazine. It's an annual subscription. You are also really supporting Escape Artist and supporting the podcast, Expat Money Show, when you sign up for this. You know, I've had people ask me, do you guys do Patreon? You know, how, how can we support? How can we get involved? A really good way to get involved is to sign up for the magazine. I think it works out to about $8, $8.20 or something like that a month. So it's really nothing. And the content that you get in return is world-class stuff that you're not going to find anywhere else. So check that out, Insiders Magazine. There's going to be so many amazing things coming out with that. I'm super, super pumped. Next, you guys may have seen I am getting interviewed all over the place. Every single week I am being interviewed on other shows. Um, some big ones that I'm making appearances on are the Bitcoin circuit, because I really believe that we're going to see a massive spike in Bitcoin. I'm calling it right now. Uh, in third quarter of 2020, we're going to see a massive spike in Bitcoin. So I'm going on to talk to a lot of the, the people in this space. You also find me on a lot of the homeschooling, world schooling, unschooling types of shows. I'm a very big proponent for self-education and for removing our children from government-run schools. So you probably have heard me on some of those programs. And then, of course, travel podcast, expat podcast, entrepreneur business, and libertarian shows. Um, I am a very big proponent for free speech, for freedom of movement, for freedom of assembly, for a lot of the libertarian values. I believe in being able to do everything, anything that you want, as long as you are not harming or hurting other people. I am not a big one for Libertarian Party. To be honest, I really don't know a lot about the LP. So whenever you hear me say the word Libertarian, please don't think that this equates to a uh, political organization. I'm talking about a philosophical idea here and an economic idea with Austrian School of Economics. It's all about freedom and liberty for me. You'll probably hear me on lots of big libertarian podcasts going forwards. So check me out on there. Okay, two more things before we jump into the listener questions that I want to share with you. So up until this point, the biggest thing this year has been COVID. COVID is unbelievable. I'm absolutely shocked. You know, I've been telling people to prepare for personal responsibility that they need to protect themselves for years, years. And a lot of people wouldn't listen. They called me 
all kinds of nasty things. You know, they really didn't believe that government could seize so much power all at once. But really, look what's happened. So it was interesting. I started preparing in about second week of January for COVID. So because my wife is from mainland China, we were hearing a lot of the news before anybody else. Before it was ever talked about in mainstream media or you were hearing about it on Twitter, you know, we were already hearing about it um, from our family over there. We actually started hearing about it in very early January, maybe first couple of days of January. And then by second week of January, we were already prepping. So we went out there and we bought about six months worth of food, six months worth of water, and six months worth of um, propane for our gas stove. We figured out how to take our gas stove and transfer it to propane. And yeah, we started stockpiling everything. We already had masks and medical supplies and everything like that. But I had called it in early, early January that this would be a massive economic upset. Now, I really didn't under, I didn't really didn't know what to expect from the virus itself. So when we were going out at that time, we were wearing masks in January before anybody else. Um, I remember I was traveling to Mexico and I was one of the only people wearing a mask in mid-February and no one really understood what was going on. Now, I was probably the first, one of the first people to put a mask on, but I was also one of the first people to take the mask off. Um, once we started to really realize what was happening with COVID and understand the numbers of, and the death rates and who it was affecting, we understood that the virus itself is not really the problem. It was always going to be that economic problem, the government infringement and shutting down small businesses. Because if you look at it now, hundreds of thousands of businesses has been shut down around the world. And genuinely, I feel sad for them. I feel really sad for these people. And, you know, I've tried to do as much as I can in the last several years to help people and help them prepare economically and financially for downturns. But I mean, if people aren't going to listen, there's only so much that I can do. But as I said, I was one of the first people to take the mask off. Now, we've just come off of six months quarantine here in Panama, which was pretty horrendous. Thank goodness, yes, I do have a very large place, and me and my family all get along very well, and we've all banded together, and, and we've been very fortunate. And that I have an online business and work in this industry. So from that side, we've been very fortunate. But my freedom of movement has been really restricted over the last six months, which has been very difficult for me. You have to understand that I've been traveling for 20 years straight, that jumping on an airplane airplane and going somewhere for a long weekend has just been a normal thing for me for as long as I can remember. I'm just very adventurous. I really like to explore. I really like to go to new places and see what's going on and meet people. I'm a really, really social person. I'm always throwing parties and having um, dinner parties and having people over at the house, going out, meeting people, going out for dinners and, and going out for drinks and things like this. So this has been rather hard for me. But I've used the time to really focus on my business, read a ton, study a lot of Spanish, improve my language skills, and really connect with my wife and with my daughter. We've spent a lot of really quality time together. So I've been very fortunate in that way. But yeah, what's happening with government infringement is shocking. Like I just, I can't even believe it's real life. And I really hope and pray that things will go back to the way they were before, but I know that they are not going to. 
And I think that a lot of people do know this down in their heart of hearts. Every time that someone says, you know, oh, well, when this is over, we can all go back to this. Unfortunately, I don't think that the world will ever return to normal. We're going to have to have a massive change and people are really going to need to stand up for their civil, for their liberties and, and push back against this. Because when government takes power, they're very hesitant to give it back. And if you look at any of these things like the contact tracing apps, if you look at the restrictment of movements in these health passports and mandatory vaccinations, like this is really out of 1984, George Orwell or Brave New World type of scenarios. So I hope that people really spread the message of freedom, spread this podcast, spread other good programs that are out there that are, are really talking about these things and working towards helping people uh, because it is that personal responsibility that I keep coming back to. You can't rely on the government to help you and you really need to look after yourself and your family. Okay, second to last thing before we get into listener questions, gold. I started calling the beginning of the gold market in January of last year. Now, remember earlier when I said that I'm often a little bit early? This is one of those cases. I certainly was, I was early for gold, but I was definitely, I was really early for silver. I started recommending people buying silver at around $15, then we saw it drop down to about $13. I started stockpiling it all through that time from 15 to 13 to, to I think about, about $16. And gold was hovering around that $1,200 mark. And then we saw around April, May, gold start to have this breakout. So I was about four months before I started calling the, the, the bull market in gold. But I was looking at the writing on the wall and just a lot of things lined up. Now look at it, we're sitting at gold at about $2,000. And the silver just kind of hobbled along for a long time, for several months. And then earlier this year, we just saw a massive spike and gold went almost overnight from about that $13, $14, $15 to around $28, $29. Now, people are asking me, have I missed the boat? Is the bull market over? And I would say no, absolutely not. We are going to be talking about gold and silver and other precious metals a ton on this show going forwards. As long as it makes sense, I'll be covering this because I really see this as a huge opportunity. And this really relates to what's happening with the governments around the world. The national debt in countries is exploding. They've added more national debt in one week than they did in the entire previous year. Trillions of dollars are being added and the printing presses are being turned on. So this is some really important things that people need to understand. And we did an amazing interview with Rich Checkin on episode 92 of the Expat Money Show, where we really dug deep into the fabrication of gold and the supply and demand problems that we had at the beginning of COVID. He gives a lot of the predictions which he sees is going to be happening in the gold and precious metals industry over the next, say, 6, 12, 18 months. And we really go into some of the problems that we might face and how inflation is going to affect this. It was an amazing episode. If you guys have not listened to that, I really encourage you to go back, listen to episode 92. And we're going to be talking to Brian London from the Gold Newsletter. This man has an amazing amount of information and education in the precious metals industry. And we're going to really dig into the mining stocks and specifically the junior miners and how you can make a lot of money with that. Um, I'm 
sure it's going to be an unbelievable conversation. I hope that you guys really check that out. That'll be episode 101, so you can expect that next Friday. Okay, so now that we've hit 100 episodes in the podcast, I'm really looking forward to trying out some new exciting things. And I'm going to kind of give you guys a couple of my ideas, but what I really want is for you guys to go to Twitter and leave me a message, tag me in something. If you hit me up at at Thorup Mikkel, T-H-O-R-U-P-M-I-K-K-E-L. You'll be able to, to hit me up with your ideas of exciting interviews or exciting guests or different, uh, different forms of doing the show. But we've done now 100 episodes, 100 different interviews on the Expat Money Show, which has been such a wild ride. But what I want to do going forward is change things up a little bit because I want to keep it interesting. I don't want to keep doing the exact same thing over and over again. I want to experiment a little bit. So I had some a few ideas, and I want to hear your feedback about it. So I always thought it would be really cool to do a podcast about becoming Jason Bourne. It's one of my favorite movies. I just love these types of movies. I just thought they were so much fun. And I just thought it would be really cool to do an entire podcast about this. And it would still be interview-based. But I've decided instead of going out there and creating an entire new podcast, I want to do instead, say, a six-part or eight-part series on becoming Jason Bourne. Because I just think it's such a cool concept. So what I'm imagining is doing an episode where I bring on a memory expert, for example. Because you know how he can, in the movies and in the books, he can walk into a parking lot and instantly remember every single license plate which is in the parking lot. And he stores that memory and can come back to it at any time. Well, wouldn't that be really cool if we got the best memory expert in the whole wide world on the show and teach people how you can increase your memory and how your memory works? So I have someone lined up for that. I think that'll be a really fascinating episode. I think it would be really cool to also get someone on to talk about computer hacking and ethical hacking and how all of these types of things work. We already talk in depth with my very good friend Paul Rosenberg about privacy and staying anonymous online in the Escape Artist Insiders magazine. He's got a monthly column on staying private online, and it is unbelievable. So I want to get more into digital privacy, digital security, digital protection. So I think that that would totally fit in there. I think having someone on in the martial arts space where they talk about Krav Maga or one of those types of martial arts and self-defense, I think that would be really, really neat. Now, of course, we'll be doing it all from the international perspective. I did martial arts for something like 11 years. I was on Team Canada for martial arts. I used to compete internationally when I was a teenager. Like I competed in Ireland when I was like 16, 17 years old at the Worlds. So, I mean, it is a topic that I'm still very passionate about that I really enjoy. And I would love to get someone on and interview them about this, about self-defense. And I think it does tie back into the personal responsibility that how many times have I harped on it today? 
So those are some of the ideas that I would do in this series, Becoming Jason Borg. And I, and I know it's kind of like a marketing thing, like a headline, but I, I will make sure that it fits perfectly in with the space. We already talk about getting the second passports, about having offshore gold vaults, about keeping money overseas in foreign currency. You know, so this is just kind of an extension of that. So if this kind of sounds like a cool idea, if you want to hear me do this series, then I want you to go to Twitter and hit me up at Thorup McKell and leave me a message. Does it sound cool? Does it sound like shit? Let me know. I don't know. But it's something that I'm really passionate about. And if someone else did it, I would listen to their show for sure. Now, this is not an invitation to go out there and steal my idea because I still want to do it no matter what. But I think it's going to be really cool. So in that same vein, I thought about doing a series from the perspective like the, you know, the, the most interesting man in the room. Just getting like three or four guests who've just done some really crazy random things and interviewing them. You know, that, that, that person who has all the stories, if they're at a cocktail party, you know, they've got the whole room captivated with their stories. I think it'd be really cool to do a series, almost like a Indiana Jones type of character and, and tell stories from that. I've often been referred to as the most interesting man in the world or the most interesting man in the room. And I, I think that's quite funny. You know, I just think of myself as a really normal, regular guy who has gone out there and done some pretty cool stuff. But I pretty much feel like a normal guy. I don't feel like there's all that much special to me. You know, maybe that there's just, I don't have the fear that a lot of people have. So I've been out there doing a lot of crazy stuff for an extended period of time. But I don't think that I'm innately special in any way. But I think that doing a series of interviews like that would be really cool. I also think doing some really country-specific interviews would be awesome. I did do a really kick-ass episode for number 89 of the show with my very good friend Gil Phelan, and it was awesome. We went really, really, really in-depth on Costa Rica, and I mean, at the end of this, you should have a very good understanding about what life is like if you were to move to Costa Rica, what the costs are like, if you were investing in real estate, the visas, the whole kit and caboodle. I think it was an awesome episode, episode 89 of the Expat Money Show. If Costa Rica has interested you, you have to listen to that one. But what I think would be cool would be to do maybe a six or eight or 10 part series and find expats out there who are real experts on specific countries. So I might do one, say, on the UAE, considering that I lived there for eight years, or you know, I could do one on Australia, or I could do one on some of the other hot spots for expats. But maybe Thailand, Malaysia, Portugal, Panama, I could do now, or I could get one of my, I could interview one of my friends and have the whole episode really about that country, what it would be like to move there as an expat, the banking, the cost, the standard of living, the visa, the real estate, the, the car, getting a car in a vehicle, the licensing, citizenship, the whole works. So you could listen to it and it would be like a little masterclass on moving to that country as an expat. I think this is a really cool, interesting idea. But as I said earlier, if you guys hit me up on Twitter and let me know, or maybe let me know what countries you're interested in, and I could base it around that. I think that'd be pretty neat as well. So that is uh, 55 minutes of updates of what I've been up to for the last year. And I did promise you guys listener questions, um, and I really want to dig into those right now. So let's do it. Okay, 
Show 100, bridging the expat interest with real life. Here is a question from Brian Harris. First off, thank you for all that you do, Mikkel. Each morning as I catch up on your podcast archives, I feel excited to conquer the world and seize a few once-in-a-lifetime overseas opportunities available during these crazy times. Then the rest of the day, I'm back in the United States in the real life of busy running two successful businesses and spending time with the extended family. Have you ever coached or seen others bridge this disconnect? Thanks again, Brian Harris. Brian First off, thank you so much for your question. I really appreciate you taking the time for first listening to the show and then for going out of your way and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. You are awesome, my friend. So uh, first, I want to say that I understand and I can totally relate to what you're saying. I've been there myself and I've been pulled in many different directions by friends and family over the last 20 years of living, working, and investing overseas. I will also say that there are sacrifices to living this type of lifestyle. I have wished in the past that I would have been happy marrying my teenage sweetheart. You know, settling down in a house with a white picket fence, and that was enough for me. But the truth is that for me to be happy, I needed to go out there and be on the road and be exploring, pushing myself and looking for new opportunities. So I suggest that you take some private time and really reflect on what you want in your life. Because I promise that this type of life has challenges and it is not all glamor and you will have to say no to many, many things. But in the same time, I can promise you that it is extremely rewarding and that no matter what, you will grow as a person. So as that disconnect that you're discussing, I mean, you're going to have to make the choice for yourself. And this is definitely what I recommend to people. Do a bit of soul searching. Go somewhere quiet and reflect on it because you will have to make choices. There is going to be sacrifice. It's not all easy going, but it is very, very rewarding. So I don't know if that is the answer that you are looking for, my friend, but that is the best that I can give you. The next question is from Listening Enthusiast. Unfortunately, they didn't leave their name, only a pseudo name, so I can't, uh, I can't give a direct shout out. But this is what they show, said. Show 100 question. I love the content of the show. My question is, does someone need large amounts of funds to become an expat? For example, if you have, say, $20,000 in funds, is that enough to start thinking about asset protection or investing in foreign real estate? I would love to reach your level, but do I need to have more savings? So thank you so much for your question, Mr. Mr. or Mrs. Listening Enthusiast. That's awesome. I really appreciate you giving us a shout out and leaving us a question on Apple Podcasts. Okay, so when I started traveling and living overseas, I had almost no money. I believe the minimum wage was maybe $6, $6.80 for my first job. And I was babysitting at the same time or even earlier than that at something like $3 an hour. But I didn't let this stop me from saving money to travel. I did one of my very first trips backpacking through Latin America in the early 2000s, which is a backpack, a tent, and a jar of peanut butter. And I like hitchhiked from country to country. My point is that 
if you want to do something, there is always a way. And I was never going to let money stand in the way for me exploring the world. It was just one of those challenges that I had to overcome. Now, in regards to asset protection, I think that there are small things that you can do that will help you with the building blocks that you will do well in the future as your wealth grows. Because for sure, I would never encourage you to run out there and set up an offshore trust. They can start at, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 for something tailor-made. But what would be the point of that? But let's take something like an offshore bank account. You can usually open an offshore bank account for around three, four, five hundred $500 in fees, and you can start tucking away a little nest egg aside offshore. Something that is yours and safely out of your country of birth. Or take something like precious metals. We talked about this earlier. This is a great opportunity to learn about tangible assets and sound money. I would also invite you to take a small piece of your wealth and purchase some Bitcoin. This would continue your education in the topic of money and how it works. You will find that things like this are going to help you to gain the skills in your life to succeed. So I hope that kind of makes sense and answers your question. Next question is from Mr. Mark D. Okay, he says, invaluable resource for expats and expat curious. I've been listening to the Expat Money Show for a couple of years now and can say that out of all of the shows on the topic of expat lifestyle, this is the absolute best one that you'll find. Thank you, Mark. Very kind of you. Not only does Mikkel have incredible guests like Grant Cardone, Dr. Jack Wheeler, Carter Clues, etc., but Mikkel's personal experience of being an expat since he was a teenager with decades of experience as an international entrepreneur really make this show stand tall above the rest. Whether you have already taken the plunge into expat lifestyle or are just expat curious, this show is a vital resource for anyone interested in the expat lifestyle. My question for Mikkel is, what is the biggest challenge you have ever faced in your journey as an expat? Did you ever face a setback so huge that you considered giving up on expat lifestyle? Once again, Mark, thank you so much for your review and your question. That's awesome. You rock, my friend. Okay, so before I answer this question, I want to actually say that for everyone who is listening right now, I want you to know that I read every single comment and review about the podcast. So thank you to everybody today who's left a review, everybody who leaves, who left a review last year or who's going to leave a review tomorrow. I really, really appreciate it. I promise you I'm going to read every single one of them. Okay, so have I ever had massive setbacks? Yes, straight up. I have made investments in the past that have lost me literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, luckily, I never encouraged any of my subscribers to get involved in these investments. I am really, really, really protective over the people who listen and read my work. So I've never brought an investor into a project that went wrong. Whenever I invite people to invest with me or do a JV on a business, it has always turned out really well. I do a crazy amount of due diligence on all of these types of projects. But I remember one of my really big setbacks was when I was doing options trading. I was into derivatives for almost 10 years and I made a lot of money. Like honestly, I did very well in this space. But I remember several years ago, I was reading the financial accounts and the books for Netflix, a business that is slash was notorious for losing money. Their cost to acquire a customer is unbelievably high. 
And Netflix might be an amazing service to watch as a customer, but as a business, it was not doing very well. They were just spending money hand over fist. Now, at the time, it, the stock was trading at around anywhere from $85 to the top end of around $103, $104, maybe $105, somewhere around there. And I had been selling strangles and straddles in this area for months, racking up literally thousands of dollars a week in, uh, in profits. Then I remember there was an earnings call and the company missed projections and the stock like didn't do as it was supposed to. It didn't behave in the way that I thought that it would. And it climbed higher and then higher and then higher. And I refused to believe that it wouldn't come back down. I had a ceiling, I think, at $105, if I remember correctly. And the stock soared to like 185 and I needed to buy back like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of shares, basically for the difference between these two prices. Because remember, I was, I was selling options. I was not buying options. I was selling options. And it was that psychology of loss that like really, really messed me up. I remember that I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep at nights for like months. I felt physically ill watching my portfolio evaporate. It was... It was truly horrendous. When the stock eventually did dip back down, I covered my position and I cried. I had totally blew up my portfolio and it was my own arrogance and stupidity that had done it. I had rules and they were clearly written out in my trading diary and I didn't follow them. After that, I went on to study the psychology of loss in great detail. It made me a better investor all around and I have never made that mistake again. Um, if you want to read a really, really excellent book about this, try to find one. It's called What I Learned Losing a Million Dollars by Jim Paul. If you are into investing, I would definitely suggest that this is mandatory reading. So, I mean, that's from the investing side where I've had a massive setback that's really affected me. But I mean, from the traveling side and living overseas side, there's never been a time where I didn't think that I was doing the right thing. The only, I suppose, thing that I can think about is when I was probably about 18 or 19 and I went to Europe the second time. And this one was by myself. And I remember flying into the UK and calling my father and feeling like I was totally over my head. And, you know, I had to find a payphone, and this was probably after I'd been there for about 12 hours. And being really freaked out, you know, as a kid, and what was going on, and did I make the right decision by, by taking an airplane to the UK by myself as a teenager, and was going to spend the next several months backpacking and traveling around Europe. And I talked to my dad, and he kind of calmed me down, and, you know, it was probably a 20-minute phone call or something like that. And that was it, you know, like I, I pulled myself together. I went out there, I found something to eat. I made some friends, I had a beer and I never looked back. And that was like around 20 years ago, I'd say 20, 20 some odd years ago. And that was probably the only time I ever had doubt about traveling or being an expat or doing these types of extended trips. I never had them when I traveled through Africa. I never had them traveling through Europe or, or other places in Europe, I should say, or South Pacific or Latin America or anything like that. I never had any of those types of doubts. Just that, you know, that very first time on one of my first trips by myself on the very first day, 
And once I pushed through that, it was okay. So I guess those are two stories, you know, of, of uh, a big setback financially and a very small doubts that I had. So I hope that answers your question. Okay, next question from Bardo. Bardo, thank you so much for writing in. I really appreciate it. Bardo writes, very helpful. Mikkel, Mikkel and his guests give a fresh insight on modern entrepreneurship, being an expat, and business and finance advice that you don't hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Episode 100 question. Mikkel, if you were born a little later and you were a newbie into the expat entrepreneur scene in 2020, what would be the first bit of advice you would give to yourself? Is there anything that you would do differently? So on one hand, this is a straightforward question, but on the other side, there's like really a ton to this. It's actually a really smart question. So the myself part is one of the trickier part pieces here that we're gonna break down first. You see, I'm a product of the 80s. When I grew up, my education and my travels that shaped me are just so different than they are today. You have to understand that although technically the internet existed, it was pretty much unrecognizable to what it is today. By dropping out of school so young, we didn't have the type of resources to educate ourselves. And more importantly, we were not accustomed to just going out there and searching for answers. It really was just not taught to us. Today is an amazing time. People really have the mindset that if you want to know something, they just type it into Google or YouTube and up comes a ton of videos for free on how to do whatever it is you need. Today, we actually have the opposite problem. It's searching through that information and being informed enough and having enough wisdom to understand what the other person's objectives are by putting out that content and what their belief patterns are because everything has a political bias, even if you can't see it. And I will tell you right now, you will pay for something on the front end or, will you, or you will pay for it on the back end, but you will pay for it, whether you realize it or not. Take me for example, I'm no different. This show has a political leaning. I am always on the side of liberty and freedom. My beliefs could most closely be called libertarian values. And let me be clear, when I say libertarian, I am referring to libertarian with a small L, not a capital L. I do not know much about the libertarian party or what they are doing. I am focused on real life examples of freedom. So why do I spend so many hours creating this podcast, which I would like to think is really world-class? Well, I will let you in on my marketing strategy. I give away 99% of the information for free, and I charge for the services. So for example, we talk about asset protection and how to go offshore and how this all works. But if you need the legal work done, then we charge for that. So I guess my hope is that by you being the best educated you can be about these topics, that you will be able to make an informed decision. And that maybe I have built up that solid trust with you that when you do do business, you do it with me. The other reason that I do this show is because it's just a crap ton of fun. Like, I genuinely love doing this, but I need it to make business sense also, not just enjoyment. But I believe if the market values your work, then you should be rewarded for it. Anyways, that is my little rant on uh, understanding the motivation, which really I could do an entire podcast episode just on this one topic because there really is so much to it. 
But next, let's look at recommendations for young entrepreneurs and investors wanting to go overseas. First, I would encourage you to start with education. And I don't mean that horse shit that they call university. If you are looking to build a business or invest, then that is not the place for you. I would suggest reading. Reading books from real people who have done real things. And I would encourage you to be obsessed with this. Don't read one or two books about a particular topic. Read them all. Read all of them. Like, I have read literally hundreds of books on marketing, hundreds of books on sales, hundreds of books on investing, hundreds of books on finance. This is continual education. Yes, I dropped out of school when I was a small child, but I never stopped learning. I just took my education into my own hands. Also, please don't mistake my advice as you must read such and such number of books before you begin. No, this is about consistently learning, constantly learning and getting better as you build your business and try different things. I often get younger people wanting tips on the best investment they should be putting their money into. It's like I have, I don't know, three, $3,000, say, for example. I have $3,000. What should I invest in? My answer is books. Full stop, books. Because you have to understand that the greatest investment you have, the greatest investment you will ever make with the greatest returns on investment is your mind especially if you are young. Your earning potential is unfathomable. Let's take that example, okay? $3,000 to invest. What if in the next 12 months you spent it all on books? You went to Amazon and you bought books on an average of, say, like $20 for ease of math. Books are often cheaper, but just for ease of math, say $20. That's, what, 150 books, now, I read on average anywhere from 100 to 120 books a year, every year, for decades. And this is with a business and a family of my own. So please don't tell me you don't have time. But let's say that you pushed yourself, okay? You pushed yourself and you dug in and you read 150 books on topics that you were really passionate about and interested in. It. And they were all written by real people who have done real things that you want to do. Don't you think like your skills and your abilities would improve tremendous amounts? Think about the impact this would have on your earning potential and the value you would be able to bring to the marketplace going forwards. Personally, I think you would have a much better education than spending 10 times this amount and going to college for one year. As you begin to read things from multiple sources, your brain starts to make connections that were just not there before. So I highly, highly, highly recommend this. Next, Jones on Twitter asks, what are the types of residency visas to look into? Okay, hey Jones, thank you so much for your question. And for anyone who, out there who is not yet connected with me on Twitter, please hit that follow button and say hello. You will find me at Thor Mikkel on Twitter. Twitter is really the only social platform that I spend any time on, and it's really like the best place to reach me directly. All the emails and all of those things are great for business, especially if you guys need the services that I provide at escapeartist.com. But if you just want to say what's up and follow me on Twitter, hit me up at Thor Macau. Okay, Jones. So the best visas for residency. 
So this is kind of a loaded question as you didn't really define what best is because best for one person is not going to be best for someone else. But maybe I can share some of the things that I look for in a residency visa and then give you a couple of good examples. So I look at the country itself. Is it peaceful? Does it have a good cost of living? Is it beautiful? Is the weather nice? How are the taxes, etc.? So take, for example, Canada, where I'm born and raised. They have a good visa and immigration plans in place. Mostly they're based on point system. And for me, the visa itself is not really all that bad. But the country doesn't fall into what I want for my life to look like. So I would never recommend it to anyone else. For me, living in a socialist country with extremely high taxes, high cost of living, and shoveling snow in the winter is just a no-go. But on the opposite side, let's look at Panama, where I do live today. I love the weather here. It's hot and sunny every day. We get these really dramatic thunderstorms, which is actually right now. We have a thunderstorm going on right now. I, I love it. I think it's brilliant. The cost of living here is cheap as chips. I have all the amenities of any first world country, especially in Panama City. Like some of the malls that you walk around in, you would swear you were back in Dubai. It's, it's unreal. The visa itself, I would argue, is the best in the world. For roughly around $5,000 for the primary applicant, you can get permanent residency. You will also need to have about $5,000 in deposit that will sit in a local bank account. This is your money. This just sits there while you're doing the immigration process to show proof of funds that you can support yourself. Now, you can bring dependents with you, and you can roughly calculate it. It'll cost you about $1,500 per dependent. So a spouse, kids, parents, etc. You will need to do a criminal record check as this is on the national level, not the municipal level. So think about the RCMP if you're Canadian like me or an FBI check if you are an American. You will need about a half a dozen passport size photos. If you ask your photographer for like carnet size, you should be good to go. You will need a filled-in application form and some AML and KYC documents. Also, you need to show proof of relationship, like a marriage certificate or, you know, a birth certificate for a child. Uh, and this visa is open to anyone from a list of 50 specific countries. And one of the other things is that Panama follows a territorial tax system. Meaning if you are not earning money in the country, like you have an online business and your clients are outside of Panama, you legally do not have to pay taxes. Add to that, the visa is valid forever, as long as you spend one day in the country every two years. Can you, can you imagine? You just have to come to the country one day every two years to keep the visa active. I remember in the UAE, I had to renew my visa every three years, I had to do medical checkups, pay all these fines, do all these extra things every three years to keep it active. Here, you just have to spend one day in the country and it's active. And if you live here full time, obviously, there's no other requirements. It's unbelievable. So it really is like the best residency program in the world. 
And after five years of permanent residency, you can apply for citizenship if you like. The Panamanian passport, I would consider a like the very top of tier B passports with visa-free travel to 141 countries, if my memory serves me correctly. And if you want more information about this or, you know, my help or my team's help sorting out this visa, like we do this type of work, just go to escapeartist.com forward slash residency dash Panama. So that's escapeartist.com forward slash residency hyphen Panama. You can fill out your information and my team will get back to you with like what countries are eligible and how to proceed. And I mean, this is really like those no brainer type of things for people who want to have a backup plan or a contingency plan. Even if you don't want to live in the country full time, this is really that plan B program that's just so perfectly set out. Okay, so what other countries are doing visas and what other countries are doing good visas? Okay, well, Portugal has some excellent programs available. One of the most popular is 500,000 euro investment in real estate. Now, there are ways to drive that cost down significantly. For example, if you have a refurbishment of a property that is more than 30 years old, you can get the price down to 350,000 euros. There are other ways to change the requirements like investing outside of places like Lisbon and other big cities and in more rural areas where the population density is like 100 people per square kilometers. So I guess you really have to look at and decide what it is that you want for your life when, when you're doing this visa. For me, I do like big cities. I like being in a big city and I like what that entails. So for me, that's not really ideal. But for maybe for you, it is. Now, the documents that are required are going to be pretty similar to the ones that we listed above for Panama. So I'm not going to like repeat them. I mean, there might be some, there's some small changes here and there. But I mean, that's kind of the basis for uh, papers that you're going to be required. So also the same thing, after five years, you can apply for citizenship. And the Portuguese passport is one of the absolute best passports in the world. They get visa-free travel to a crazy 186 countries. Like that is, that is tier A passport, best of the best. Portuguese have an excellent reputation abroad. It is a beautiful, peaceful country. Um, they have a low cost of living, especially in Western Europe. I'd say it's probably the, the lowest cost country for uh, in Western Europe for standard of living. And you're already inside the Schengen area, which is a massive bonus on its own. Um, they are, there's some other really amazing things going on for it. Uh, you have a very cool non-DOM tax plan that might work out well for you, which is on its own too much to get into here. But I know like... You can reach out to us at Escape Artist for more information about this, and we'll do our best to help you with it, but it's a really cool program. We'll probably do an entire episode just on the tax situation in Portugal and how all of this works. But by the way, look at the price difference for the visa between Portugal at 500,000 euros and Panama at $5,000. And even the visa in Panama is more flexible. So just saying, keep that in mind. Next, 
Malta has a residency visa with an investment of 330,000 euros in a property and a minimum annual income of 100,000 euros or a net worth of over $500,000 in capital. And I believe this is liquid capital. There are ways to slightly reduce the initial investment. So if, say, for example, you invest in the south of Malta or in Gozo, you only have to spend 270,000 euros, which will get you a pretty amazing place, to be honest. Malta is a stable, peaceful island country with only around 450,000 inhabitants. Too bad this program doesn't actually lead to citizenship on its own. Otherwise, I'd be signing up for this tomorrow myself. Now, they do have an awesome citizenship by investment plan, but that costs a million euros and you can get citizenship in like six months. So that's a pretty awesome program also. The UAE has opened up some amazing opportunities for visas. I don't have the exact numbers in my head as everything has changed since I lived there from 2011 to 2019, but I can tell you that it is an expat hotspot. Only 10% of the workforce are Emiratis. The other 90% are expats. Violent crime and theft are pretty much unheard of in the country. There are tons of opportunities there for work and business, and the country it continues to grow. It's a travel hub, and from Dubai, you can pretty much get on a direct flight to any other country in the world. So it's an awesome place to base yourself if you like to travel like me. It's pretty expensive place to live there, I must admit. And I know that pe I know people who are paying somewhere around 200,000 US dollars in rent a year, in rent, which seems like the worst deal ever to me. But I mean, it's none of my business, so they can do whatever they want. But for me, I'd rather live in a cheaper country. And when I did live there, I was not paying $200,000 in rent. We had a much better deal than that. But it is an expensive country. Okay, where else? Where else can we talk about? Um, I would look into Montenegro as their no program looks amazing. I'm very good friends with one of the people who helped set up their residency by investment program um, and citizenship by investment programs in Montenegro. Um, it's an amazing one. We talk about that one in detail in the Escape Artist magazine, so I won't talk too much about it here. Greece, Spain, Ireland, they all have plans, but I'm not necessarily as big of a fan as in those. Um, I could kind of go on all day about these types of things as I'm super interested and I just love living in different countries and I love geeking out on all of the different programs. So, like I said, if you are interested in residencies and citizenships, I encourage you to sign up for Insider Magazine. It's $99 for 12 issues for a year's worth of subscription. And honestly, there's nothing out there like this. It is money well spent, I promise. Plus, you are supporting the show, as I said earlier, and supporting all the work that we do at Escape Artists. So I hope, Jones, that answered your question. I know it was a little bit long, but I mean, those are some of the cool programs that are taking place right now. Obviously, things really change all the time, and you have to be up to date and looking at it all the time. Programs come and go. Prices change. Requirements change. Things are going to get more difficult, not less difficult, I think, as things go on. Also, as programs become more established, often the prices go up. As countries enter the EU, they will also go up in price. Take, for example, Montenegro. Right now, Montenegro is not part of the EU, but in five years when you can apply for citizenship, 
but in a five years it will be, and with your new Montenegro citizenship, you'll be ready to go, and you're going to be getting it at a much less price. I mean, if you go straight for citizenship via investment in Europe, you're going to think about probably about a million dollars, sorry, a million euros, uh, all the way up to 10 million euros. Like Austria has a program at 10 million euros um, for citizenship by investment. And I've been to Austria multiple times, and it's an amazing country, but I would not be spending $10 million to get an Austrian passport. So there we go. That is episode 100. We went a little bit longer than I had anticipated, but there was just a ton of things to cover. I want you guys to let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter. Support the show. Tell your friends. Leave us a review. Tons of things. I know I'm asking lots. Lots of asks in this show. I don't usually do too many too many asks in my episode, but this way, this episode, I'm really hitting it up. Thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for listening to all of the episodes that we do, uh, to all my amazing guests, for subscribing to the newsletter, for coming to the summit, for, for signing up for the newsletters, the magazines, all the work that I do. I am so humbled. I am so appreciative. And that's it. I'll see you guys in episode 101. Take care. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.